thank you for all the people who are with us. It's a great pleasure and a great privilege that we can together discuss a very important and fundamental transformation which we're now experiencing in our society and also in the role and function of museums and culture in this new society by a crisis caused by the coronavirus. And I would like to explain to you what is really happening now uh, with the uh, effects of the corona crisis. For example, what we are now normally uh, before the corona crisis, I would probably would have come to Istanbul and you and me would sit in a, bar, in a large room, uh, in a hall, uh, uh, together in one place. So 150 people and me, we would be in one place. So place means in a Greek word, uh, uh, topos, or in Latin means locus. Therefore, I say, classically, we would be a local audience. Yeah? Local audience means bounds in one place. A big group and even a mass of people, uh, a group or a mass of people would be bound in one place. This is what I call local audiences. And for the last of 100 years, we have living have been living in the fiction uh, that culture takes place uh, in with uh, local audiences. Uh. We have concert halls, we have museums, we have sport halls, and everywhere where you go, we have masses and groups of people. And now we realize suddenly with the corona crisis, maybe this illusion uh, is fading. And this is why I want to explain. What we do now, I sit in Karlsruhe as one person, uh, uh, Mr. Karaman sits in Istanbul and you sit in other places. Huh? So what we do now, we do not share one place. We are all at different places. So this is what I call a non-local audience. Precisely. No? Said, now comes the point. When people uh, have been watching, I give you a simple example to understand it very easily. In sports, we had big stadiums and 50,000 people watched a soccer game. Yeah? And suddenly now, People cannot meet anymore in this stadium and people watch them at home at television. And all of a sudden people say, these games are bad games because these games are ghost games. Can you imagine? Suddenly all nations and all so-called culture people and intellectuals say, this is a ghost game. And they say, no, the people in front of television, there are more than 50,000. A normal soccer game in one place with a locally bound audience, maybe has 50 or 100,000 people. But the non-local audience distributed at many places in front of a screen, be the computer screen, be a television, are millions. So the non-local audience is much bigger yeah, than the local audience. And these non-local audience are not ghosts. They are real people in front of a television set or computer screen. That means non-local communication does not turn us into ghosts. Yeah? We stay human beings with a body, but we are, no, we are non-locally divided and distributed. And now suddenly people say a soccer game without this proximity is not a soccer game. This is ridiculous, I want to show you. Huh? This the proximity of masses huh? is an illusion, yeah? which is a kind of business model I would like to explain to you. Because uh, suddenly they say, yeah, watching, a tele uh, watching a soccer game at home alone with some friends on television is not a sensual, a sensory experience. Uh, therefore, I have to remind you of some basic facts because these basic facts are denied by entertainment industry. 
the entertainment industry at the moment is building up a Bojemkinch and village of facts which do not exist. We have, we have to go back to primary facts. Our body consists of a typology of five sensory organs. For example, we say eye, we see. We say ear, we hear. We say nose, we smell. We say tongue, we taste. We say fingers, we have a haptic, a touch, a haptic experience. So haptic experiences and taste are so-called sensory organs of proximity. But our eyes, our ears, and even our nose are called sensory organs of distance. This is a scientific expression. So we have sensory organs of distance. And now we have developed a technology which could not expand and extend the sensory organs of proximity. They could only extend the sensory organs of distance. Therefore, the word distance in Greek means tele, far. Tele is the word for far, for distant. Therefore, we have telefax. We can write to other places. We have telephone. We have television. We have radio. We have internet, what we are doing now. So since 150 years, we have developed a technology, which we call teletechnology, which helps us to continue the labor of our sensory organs. And now to say, when you watch me, when I watch you, it's not a sensory experience, it's complete nonsense. It is not a haptic experience, but it was never a haptic experience. It was always a sensory experience, but nature, a sensory experience, or a sensory experience by watching and hearing. When I listen to music from a radio, alone in my home, it is a sensory experience. Therefore, all this talk today in the magazines and media, the digital age, we are losing and lacking sensory experience is complete nonsense. Yeah? Because we have these organs of distance, and now we can experience with the help of technology, teletechnology more than ever. But now comes the point. Why is this teletechnology so successful? Teletechnology, as I say, is a medium of distance, even more a medium of absence. I'm not in the same space with you, but you see me, yeah? so we are part of a space which we call online, online universe. Yeah? So we can communicate, but now comes the point. We communicate with the help of data. So my image yeah, is turned by the camera and computer sensor in digital data. Then it is sent, broadcasted uh, wireless from a cable to another place. And then we have a machinery which turns the data again back to an image, to a sound, where we can communicate. That means we are communicating only with messages, without a messenger. So we have now a very fundamental change since 150 years. To the middle of the 19th century, communication was only possible as a, the transportation of a message with the help of the body of a messenger, be the pigeon, be the machine, the airplane, a railway, a bicycle, or a soldier, or a man who brings a letter to you. So until the middle of the 19th century, each message needed for creation the body of a messenger. But with the advent of electromagnetic waves, yeah, with Morse codes, etc., suddenly we could send a message without the body of a messenger. Yeah? So the most important fact for the culture last hundred years is this division of message and messenger. And today, 
since hundred fifty years, more and more, we can send yeah, uh, information, a message without the body of a messenger. And now in digital age, yeah, we are now we find that this technology, yeah, like computers, like internet, that even more yeah, we can send messages without uh, uh, a messenger. And now comes the point. Teletechnology is continuing the labor of teleorgans, of the sensor organs of distance. But the first teletechnology is in fact the medium of writing. When we speak like now, yeah, then what I say is, is disappearing. Yeah? But when we record it being on magnetic tape, or when we record it on writing, then this writing is the medium of, of absence. When I write down something, yeah, then the event has happened. I write down something for a person which is not here. I write about things which are not here, yeah, which are only symbolized by letters. Letters are the notes of sound. Writing is just a memory, a storage medium for sounds. Yeah. With our alphabet, we can write down and store and memorize the sound that I'm speaking now. Today we have invented other memory storage, yeah, this is magnetic recording or electronic recording. But in both cases, yeah, we are continuing the labor of writing. So we have to learn. Writing is the first medium of distance, the first medium of absence. Reporting about something which is not here, in space and not in time. And past events, or future events, events and persons uh, and actions which are not here at the moment. So, we already with writing, we are in the process of symbolic processing. No? Images and letters yeah, are always about relations, about things which are not here. So writing and images are the first two steps of symbolic processing. And now we're entering in digital age in a new step, step number three, symbolic processing by numbers and data. Yeah? So and now to say a digital experience like we're doing now, it's not a sensor experience, it's too late. You could say watching a painting, reading a book is also missing uh, a sensor experience. It is not true. Everything what we hear, everything what we see by mediums of distance is a sensor experience. Uh. Culture was never about haptics. A painting in the museum you did not touch. Uh. You did not touch an actor. You saw an actor on distance on the television. In a film, you couldn't even, the actor was not even here. The actor was absent. Film is a theater of 21st, of 20th century. Film is a theater of 20th century. Also, already a medium of distance. So, but now we have new possibilities with digital technology that suddenly yeah, we can communicate one to one, yeah, from person to person. And this is closer to culture than ever because it is an individual who creates art. It is an artist alone, yeah, a composer alone, and a, a poet alone who writes a poem. And he addresses not the masses, he addresses another individual. So the social culture, the production is done by an individual, composer, writer, painter, whatever, and the reception is also done by an individual. But since 100 years, we have now comes the point, we have invented the idea yeah, of masses. We have built huge concert halls. We have built sports stadium. We have built huge cinema halls. We have built uh, museums uh, to bring masses together because the more masses, 
some more money you can make in one space at one time. Yeah? So, uh, but in fact, on the other side, we had a radio. Yeah? So a radio means, even with the transistor radio, you can take your radio and you can walk around and you can hear as an individual, as a singular individual, you can hear the music. But, but how could it happen? When you remember, we have the word telecast. We have a guitar, and this guitar was called uh, telecast. So what tele means far. Because when you play a guitar today, the sound does not come from the guitar. This is an illusion. So proximity is always an illusion. When you have a normal guitar 100 years ago, you could only reach maybe 100 people in a bar. Because the sound of a guitar is not loud enough to reach more than 50 100 people. So guitar it was not a valuable uh, uh, instrument. A guitar player was not a hero. But today, when a guitar player can plug in his guitar, so-called telecaster, huh? this is the name of a guitar. The first was the name of the guitar and the fifth was telecaster, an instrument of tele of this. And you could plug it in to an electronic or electric amplifier. Suddenly, you could play for 50 and more thousand people. So it means suddenly we had a guitar as a hero. But this was only a technical effect because we have invented amplifiers, we have invented resistors to turn a normal guitar, which only can reach 100 people, to turn the instrument to a mass instrument. And this was, first of all, as I said before, a technical invention. All technical inventions, all technology is always teletechnology, you know? turning everything into technology of distance and of tele, you know? even a guitar. You know? And today we have more and more instruments. Uh, but now comes the point. Instead of using the technology for individual communication, we turned it into a business model and said, now we want to, we want to have masses uh, to have to make more money. But now today, the cinemas are closed because of the COVID crisis. We are experiencing streaming and network services. Uh, and precisely this is again, millions of people can watch a singular individual's movies. So we don't have to go into a, a cinema hall. We can watch the movie at home in our lead, or, or, or large screens, uh, very large screens. So with network society, yeah, with streaming services, yeah, is a possibility to have non-local audiences distributed all over the world. And we have now masses of people, but not in one space, but distributed at many other spaces. So the future is, in fact, non-local audiences. That means we have to take, we have to say farewell to the idea of the mass audiences. And this is valid for sports, this is valid for concerts, this is valid also for museums. We do not have to make any more blockbuster exhibitions. Huh? Blockbuster exhibitions have been also a business model. Huh? The blockbuster exhibitions have been in fact very expensive huh? because when you want to attract masses in a museum, you must make huge advertising. Huh? Huh? And this costs a lot of money. You must, uh, uh, and then masses damage a lot in the museum, which costs a lot. Uh, the more masses you have uh, in the museum, the more money you have to spend. So, in fact, it's here, it's even an economic illusion. And now comes the next point blockbusters you can only make with artists you know. Uh, so, like Monet, uh, Van Gogh, Picasso. So, blockbuster exhibitions force the museum to do always the same. Uh, but art is always about innovation, creativity. We're always doing something new. And therefore, the museums cannot be forced to forget to say farewell the blockbuster exhibitions because masses are not allowed anymore. Because uh, 
everything now, our society is turning into a society, what I call daily society, a society of decent. So our culture was built in the past on the illusion of proximity. But frankly, when you sit in a theater, then people say always, yes, and I, I, I miss the feeling of proximity. Then I say to, so I say to the person, are you serious? When you sit in a theater, yeah, then the person in front of you, behind of you, left or right to you, you don't know it. You don't know even the name. And when in the theater I make a noise, like <gasps> sniffing, then everybody looks at me and says, what is this kind of strange person? So in effect, proximity in a concert hall yeah, yeah, and uh, in a theater place was a complete illusion. You did not know your neighbor. You have not been, only you did not experience proximity. You have been forced in a chair, like in a prison. Yeah? You couldn't move. At home, you can stand up, go to the refrigerator, you can eat something, you can drink something. So you have much more freedom. So when you're part of a non-local audience, like now, you have much more degrees of freedom. So, in fact, the factory yeah, of proximity, our culture was for hundreds of years a forceful, a brute factory of proximity, forced us into rows of seats uh, and pretending this is proximity. It was never proximity. It was just a brute method, a forcing method to bring as many people into one space to make a lot of money. And since now we have to learn, said, what can a museum do uh, uh, to survive uh, uh, in this society of distance and tele-society? As it means, normally, you have an offer, you show, you show people objects. And these objects can be watched and can be heard. And now we have to think, we have a local audience. Now we have to learn that the museum must also make offers for non-local audiences. The museum must become, frankly, a broadcasting system. The museum must become, if you say, sender in emissions. You cannot say, come to us. So we cannot say, we have an attraction of you. Please, people, come to us in our space and watch what they offer you. No, now we must say, come to you. Yeah? Already we speak about home office. Yeah? People are sitting at home. This is precisely a new working model. People don't move again in one room, in one factory. So we don't have, again, local workers. No people sit at home. So we have now, home office means non-local work. People do not sit in one office. People sit in their homes and make some work. This is possible by telecommunication. So. This no, no local situation we have now to apply on museum. That means yeah, our audiences will be locally, not locally, but non-locally distributed. So we have to come to them. So we have to become a kind of home museum. We have home office, we have to become a home museum. The museum must go to the homeless people and must give a program. Yeah. But basically, it is what you're doing now is not enough. Normally people say, I can make a picture of an object, of a painting or a sculpture, and send it on my website. Yeah? But this is not the ideal, to have analog content and turn it into digital data, because it's still analog content. What we must do, must, the museum must create new digital content. Yeah? It's fine. We can take all the pictures, all the sculptures, and turn them, uh, all the sculptures, all the paintings, we can turn them into digital, uh, and, send, and people can watch it. Yeah? Uh, on, the, uh, on the screen. It's the same if you watch a, picture, a, a, a painting or a book or a painting on the screen, it is fine. Huh? But now, with the screen, with artificial intelligence, you can do much more. You can say, you look at the picture, and say you can ask a question to the picture. Huh? 
So we have to turn the picture into a database, which goes beyond the visual. No? So the picture must purchase start to speak to you. You watch it and say, I don't know uh, what does this mean, this red color? What was the idea of the artist? And say, the picture must give you an answer. So what we do, we turn the museum into a para-university institution. No? And this para-university institution will, de will, uh, will define new methods of teaching. So the painting can ask you a question, and you can ask the painting a question. And you will give a, an answer to the painting, and the painting will answer to you. So the painting becomes an intelligent agent. This is a task for the next decades. With a lot, with an amount of, of new learning, of new learning. So in art museums have a special possibility to develop new skills of learning with the help of artificial intelligence. Because you see, learning in a classroom is not very good because each person has different talents. Some people are good in music, some people are good in writing, some people are good in plastic, whatever. But now you're forced uh, to the same speed. So when somebody is good in mathematics, he has in 10 minutes a solution. Somebody is not as good in mathematics, he needs more than one hour to have a solution. Sometimes they doesn't have a solution. So in a classroom, you have different speeds of learning, different talents. Huh? So it means who, somebody who has much talent, is slowed down, and somebody has, who has less talent, is for them is too, is too fast. Now we can do, we can, in the non-local museum, we can address every visitor personally. Very soon, huh, when somebody, there's a camera, huh, this camera will not only listen, uh, not only detect your face and make a, a description. Huh, when you speak, you will have intelligent agents which, which find out, because of your voice, what are your interests. And then you can have a dialogue from individual to work. Huh? So what we will be, what we will become, Museum will become a learning environment supported by artificial intelligence to support, to, to amplify huh? the, what we say, the, uh, in, 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 in physiology, each sensor again is a channel, has a capacity channel. No? As a, when you have an ear, when you have an eye, and you have to process information, you have to process process data, if you have this kind of channel, yeah? and each channel has a capacity of information. And in a museum, the capacity of information in the channel is very low. Yeah? There's no other people. So in fact, when you get a museum, you learn more or less nothing. You look down, I see the painting, and say you have a little description, it is ridiculous. You have a little description, the name of the artist, uh, the date of the painting, and the name of the painting. So you have three factors, name, title, and date. This is not something interesting, it's ridiculous. Uh, and even it's difficult to go down and look at it. Yeah? When we have now a local, non-local audience, uh, you can much more learn yeah, about the painting by a direct dialogue between individuals. That means your degrees uh, of freedom are heightened yeah, and your channel capacity, how much information you can possess, is also heightened. So become a much more emancipated and liberated individual. So non-local motion principles like this, is, yeah? to give you maybe uh, another example. Only theater uh, has troubles uh, because to experience one play by 10 actors 
to have only one people in the audience uh, is too expensive. Yeah? So nature and theater can be recorded. Yeah? Uh, and you can watch the theater uh, on the, as film or a video or, or, or television. But I have to say, when I was young, yeah, at the end of the 50s, uh, television still had a kind of mission statement for culture. On television, I could see plays by, by Brecht, plays by Shakespeare. So I was never eager to go to a real theater piece. When I ask you frankly, uh, who of you has been himself personally in a theater the last years? Most of two people will say, I was not there. So that means, even in theater, uh, to be in a place is not important. When I was a child, uh, I was consuming a lot of plays and tele in, on television. And I was completely satisfied uh, to see all the great actors uh, on television. And nobody in the cinema, uh, uh, where the actors are just virtual, uh, I was never interested to see the actors in real. Uh, uh. For me, it was enough to see the actors and the play on a screen. So even here, it's theater, the idea of proximity, which is pretended all the time, is wrong, even with a concert. Uh. Frankly, uh, when I was young and I was interested, so when I was very young, I detested, I detested popular music. I was very much into, when I was 12 or 13, 40 years old, I only liked contemporary music uh, or classical music. When I listened to popular music, uh, I hated it and I, uh, uh, and I did not respect it. So when I was about 12 years old, I was in front of a shop window. And there was a picture by Elvis Presley. And they said, Elvis Presley sold 20 millions. Uh, and then they said, 20 millions can't be wrong. And I said as a child with 12 years, yes, 20 millions can be wrong. Uh, it's wrong, it's not a good music. But then later, when I learned Jimi Hendrix and Brittles, I learned to estimate uh, pop music. But I never had a desire to experience a real concert by the people of Jimi Hendrix. For me, it was enough to listen to the music from radio, from television, or by record. Even here, I don't need a concert hall. Huh? I need the music. I need the message. You see, what we have to learn now, huh? that the museum has to also to do what I said before. Since 150 years, we have a separation between message yeah, and messenger. And actors and musicians are just messengers. Yeah. Important is the message. Therefore, for example, and now comes the point. Secretly, people are doing it all the time. When you are in a concert hall, yeah, where are the musicians? You don't see the musicians. They are underneath the stage. Yeah, because it is very clear. People don't want to see the sweat and blood of the musicians, they want to listen to the music. Nobody wants, only in a society of spectacles, as this famous book by Guy Debord, that everything has turned as a business model, our society, into a of spectacle. Suddenly said, oh, we want to see the spectacle. No? But the fact, it's not about the spectacle. I don't want to listen. I want to, I want to see the musicians. When you watch closely, say you see something interesting. You see the conductor conducting, but watch the eyes of the musicians. The musicians look only on the score, or she look like she's a member. Nobody watches to the conductor. Even here, there's an illusion that the works of the conductor is done before, not when he makes a spectacle. No? So before he listens to the musician and say, makes this, makes that, and that. No? So even conducting is just a spectacle. And the best point you see, conductor and musicians are under the stage, you don't see them, you only listen to the music, only the message. And now this comes here. Huh? 
we have to learn as a museum to to say farewell to the messenger, uh, to say farewell to the local audiences, to learn how can it transport uh, uh, the message alone. That means the message of art uh, distributed wireless per digital. Uh, this is only possible with the participation, uh, individual participation of the audience. So audience education, audience development is one of the tasks for the future. Uh, okay, so maybe there's something uh, Mr. Karaman, people want to know more. This is, could you please unmute yourself? Sorry. I hear you. Dear, dear Weibel, thank you very much for your inspiring talk uh, today. Uh, so we can go ahead with the Q&A. Uh, and if you have any question, please let us know. Uh, I want to open this session with a question uh, about art-based research. Yeah. Uh, this question refers to your article uh, entitled Manifesto for a New Museum. Uh, yeah. I know that you are champ championing the relation uh, between art and science research. With your words, if art museums want to survive, they have to learn from science and look for aliens with science. Yeah. Could you please uh, explain how museums can uh, succeed? Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Karman. Very good question. Thank you very much for the opportunity that I can expand this very most important fact. Um, when you watch a science institute, for example, CERN in Geneva, no? uh, CERN, this is this famous institute for nuclear physics in Geneva. No? People don't know how much money this CERN gets uh, every year. It's one, it's three billion. Yeah. That shows science, uh, and now comes the point. Yeah. When today yeah, politicians judge the worker museum, they always ask for the visitors. They say, always say, how many visitors do you have? Right, Mr. Karaman? Yeah. So people don't say, also, no, I've started a museum, and I'm in the museum business since many decades. And the museum is a three party problem. That means one party is the politi politics, the other party is the press, the other party is the public. So when you have a good press, you have enough public, enough audience, and the politicians are happy. Yeah? But at the very moment when you have no public, politicians get nervous yeah, and say, what do you do since you have no audience, no public? Yeah? And when you have bad press, politicians get also nervous and why do you have bad press? What do you, what do you make wrong? And therefore, a museum is a three-party problem, huh? and the most loyal persons are the public. Huh? The press is instable, huh? and the politics is just, a, it's just watching, uh, judging what judges the audience by visitors and what is the judgment by the press. And now comes the point. Huh? The scientific institutions have no press, they have no audience. You see? I always say to politicians, when you say, ask me, where are the buses? in front of the museum with all these all many people. Then I say, okay, go to the science institute. Where? I don't see any buses. I don't see any visitors. Can you imagine what a kind of splendid situation? You make your work, you make research, 
you don't need press and you don't need buses. Yeah? Why do people ask from art and artists always a lot of visitors, a lot of buses, a lot of press? It is crazy. It is wrong. Yeah? And then the point is, okay, we give you money. Yeah? And therefore, we must justify, legitimate the money what we give from the taxpayer. Then I say, okay. Then ask the people in Chern, in Geneva, how can you justify that you give them three billion? So Europe gives one billion, United States gives one billion, and the rest of it gives another billion. No? So this lobby I want to have, these people make research for parties which you don't see, yeah? Yeah? and they get a lot of money. Now comes the next point yeah? about seeing. Yeah? Science, since approximately 400, 500 years, goes beyond perception. We've invented the telescope, teletechnology, we've invented the microscope, that we see something what the natural eye doesn't see. So science goes beyond the limits of natural perception. Yeah? Art has stayed for hundreds of years in the limits in the horizon of natural perception. Painters paint what they see. Scientists research the things which they do not see. We have a microscope to see things we do not see with our eyes. We have telescopes and many other. We have X-rays and many other instruments, computer tomography, etc., etc. So science starts where perception ends. Precisely, science starts where natural perception ends. Science starts what's beyond that was our eyes. So science went into race invisibles, into invisible things. And art stayed too many, too for many decades in the horizon of what our eyes is. For me, it's really ridiculous, this profession of a painter. This is unserious business. For hundreds of years, they painted naked women. This is crazy, huh? Or they paint landscapes. This I see anyway. Huh? Everybody knows how a naked woman looks like. Anybody knows how, it, how a mountain looks like, how an airline looks like. We have an artist shows us the world, and scientists. Scientists show the world, we do not see with our natural eyes. See, and now comes the point. But in 150 years, with eventual photography, we have also invented technology, like scientists, where we can record something which we do not see as eyes. I give you a perfect example. In a painter could have had the possibility, and a normal painter, for 100 years you have portrait painting, a face, half of a body, and full body. Yeah? But the painter could have said, and he had a chance for 2,000 years, I make a painting only with my eye. I make a painting of my nose, only my lips, or my ear. She did not do it. Yeah? But now, in the, but with, tele, uh, with, uh, with, uh, with photography, we can make a close-up. And suddenly, with photography, we have close-ups of ears, of lips, and nose, etc. Even of a toe. The French uh, photographer, Boisard, he made a photograph of a, of a toe, of a finger. So that means the technology allowed us to change our look on even our body. Yeah? And then we have invented other technology more and more. So suddenly, also artists have had technologies and tools starting with uh, photography, then with cinema, cinema is slow motion, the slow subs, with special effects. Now in cinema, we show landscape that do not exist. Uh, all these fantasy films, all these adventure films, show landscapes, show creatures that do not exist. We can show dinosaurs, we can show vampires, we can create people, creatures, living animals, living organisms which do not exist. Suddenly, this is new technology, for computer technology, to, uh, to photography, artists share the same pool of technologies and sciences. Suddenly, technological artists, media artists, have 
access to the same equipment like scientists. Suddenly, also, let's say a painter and a doctor of, of, of medicine, they don't have the same tools. The painter has a brush as a, as a color, and the doctor of medicine, as a, as a man who makes a teeth, has special machines. So they have been very separated worlds. One is working in something we should not see, yeah? and the artist works with something, the painter, what we see with natural organs. But now suddenly, since 100 years approximately, artists and scientists share the same common ground of tools, the same pool of tools, technology, technology tools. And therefore, we have an alliance uh, of science and uh, art. This is what, in the beginning of this alliance was the Renaissance. And we have to, do, we have to know two things. We have not only the Renaissance started in, uh, in Italy, uh, around 1500. No, we had before, between 800 and 12, we had the so-called Islam Renaissance. Uh, so the invention of machines, uh, really, the invention of machines, of automata, of clocks, of autonomous writing, was done, for example, around 800 by the uh, Musa brothers. These people have made books called mechanical devices. Uh, the idea that mechanical machines can imitate mental faculties of human people, that we have machines to write, that we have automata, uh, machines who can make music, was invented by the Islam Renaissance between 800 and 1200. So since 1,000 years, again and again, we have artists who make something similar like uh, scientists. It's only the art market, and most museums are slaves of the art market. Yeah? The art market wants to sell paintings. Yeah? Yeah? And this, is this is terrible. The art market is blocking the innovation of art. And most museums are following like slaves the art market yeah? and not supporting technological or media art. But in fact, Renaissance was nothing else as, as science and art. The first sentence of the famous book by Leonardo da Vinci, the first sentence of uh, the tract uh, Tractatus of Painting by Leonardo da Vinci. The first sentence is, painting is a science, pittura essentia. So Leonardo da Vinci said, art is a kind of science. And he was a scientist and painted, etc. He never was using tools. He, he made anatomy. Yeah? He was cutting up people. So and now we are coming back. 21st century, we will have what I call Renaissance 2.0. Because now we have the same tools like scientists, we are investigating, searching what does not exist, something yeah? we do not see. And the other reason is, what I said before, economically one, yeah? when we are not as such relevant for society like science, yeah? that we get money for our research. Yeah? So what I want for us, what I want for the art community, precisely Mr. Karaman is, yeah? art-based uh, research or research-based art must have autonomy like scientists. We must get money for research not only to attract audiences, yeah? because scientists do not attract audiences. When you make a scientific paper, yeah? so maybe 20 people read it, yeah? and now we ask as always, you must make a bestseller. This is scientists, when they're famous, they make better, but the real scientific work is not bestseller. The real scientific work is too complicated to be understood by the masses. Yeah? And this is what, what the, uh, we have to have the same uh, law for artists. Art must be made for research, and art must not be forced to attract the masses, uh, etc. No? Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, uh, Peter Weibel. Uh, we have so much messages uh, say that thank you this uh, amazing talk. 
but uh, we have no question uh, now. Uh, I think that we can finish this uh, can presentation. Finish. Okay, and, good. Thank you for the opportunity. It was yeah. a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for the work. We continue the work. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, we get honored for your accepting our invitation yeah. and contributing to our research, research project. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah.